Hi, and welcome to And Introducing, a podcast about words, about music. I'm Chris Wade. And I'm Molly O'Brien. And introducing, it's Peter Steele. Yes, we're going in on 90s goth metal heartthrob Peter Steele and all things typo negative through Soul on Fire, the book by fan Jeff W. Wagner. Uh, But first, let's introduce our own guest for this episode from the Anti-Art Instagram Music Review Collective. It's Ryan. Hey, Ryan. What's up? Hey, what's good, everybody? Anti-Art Ryan here. Uh, Excited to be on here. We talked about this probably like a year ago when we were at Governor's Ball on the subway. So (laughs) really excited to be finally doing this, and uh, especially about Typo Negative, one of my favorite, uh, not new bands, but newly discovered bands for sure. All right. Well, let's get right into it. What made you suggest Typo Negative for this show? Um, Typo Negative is a very controversial and, and weird band, but they make incredibly good music to back it up. That's probably what I like the most about them. And the um, <clears throat> the lead singer, Peter Steele, is an extremely dedicated and insane uh, artist, especially in the realm of rock and metal. Uh, he was performing pretty much up until the day of his death, uh, like on stage, like literally with like oxygen mask with uh, his band Carnivore. So, yeah, he's just like extremely dedicated, like through all the hardships and everything. And uh, uh, I, I, I really love his specific brand of metal. Uh, it really sparked a revolution in like the goth world in a certain mm-hmm. way, and um, like the same way that like maybe a Danzig did, but I think in a more, in a more, I don't, I'm, I've never been a huge fan of Danzig, but like I think with Typo Negative, they like they really expanded it and made it like almost like a whole universe in a certain way. Uh, Molly, from the second you started reading this book, you were like, "Oh, I love Peter Steele. I'm steel pilled." <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah. So did so did you really enjoy di- diving into the research for this one? Yeah, the book the book is really good, and yeah, I think I Ryan, I understand why you why you uh, fuck with this guy because I would say anti art. You, you guys aren't afraid of being a little provocative, you know, like uh, j- you know, pushing yeah, pushing true. the envelope, trying to get the conversation started because that is what you know what what drives attention. Sometimes it's a little controversy, mm-hmm. uh, and I think Peter Steele was a uh, clearly after reading. I I personally knew knew really nothing of his career i think i had heard of typo negative but this is my first like dive into it and he he is the he's the type of guy that he like he's got some kind of crazy ideas and like some interesting ways of putting them forward and then it seems like him as a person is like totally different than what like some of the like ideas that he explores in his music in a way that i think was a little ahead of the curve even when he was doing it in in the 90s uh i'll go last on this one uh I typo negative is something that I had always heard of seen on like, you know, posters for metal shows, uh, known of as a, you know, a towering figure in the world of, you know, nineties, hard industrial, uh, metal music, uh, something that I always assumed was a little too, uh, weird, gross and aggressive to me. Uh, this is probably something that I would have lumped in, uh, you know, I, I mentioned way back on the Marilyn Manson episode about how like seeing my older cousins with Marilyn Manson posters and it being like genuinely scary and off putting to me. And this is always something that I kind of like just lumped in that realm of scary off putting, just like intentionally gross. Uh, it's basically do not need to engage music. Uh, mm-hmm. but I've been listening to a bunch of them to get into and ready for this, uh, recording and guess what they rock uh they're like a more metal bauhaus and peter still is uh one of the most more commanding singers that i've been listening to lately so men have some uh, pipes yeah <laughs> uh, and i just also really uh, like was immediately uh brought into how the the lyrical content does have the the typical like dark scary 
uh, violent imagery of goth and metal, but there's like such a clear humorous angle to it. Mm-hmm. Like they are clearly not taking themselves too seriously, even if the songs themselves are, you know, engaged with serious content uh, that I found uh, very approachable to this. Um, you know, not as if they're a joke or satirical band, even if they are jokey and satirical sometime, but you know, it, it just makes it much easier to get into it being like, Oh, uh, this is a song about, uh, you know, uh, fucking a dead girl, but they're having fun with it. Mm-hmm, right. Exactly. Yeah. The first two, the first two albums are super interesting because, um, I mean, he started off in this band Carnivore, which was like a, a hardcore band. And then he he transitioned. He's pretty much like a, Brook, a Brooklyn hipster, essentially. Yeah. That's kind of yeah. what this band is. And he was working for the garbage uh, service or like the park service, like being a garbage New- man. Parks department. New York's yeah. strongest. Yeah. And he said, yeah, exactly. And he said that he was most happy. Uh, he, he was the most happy in his life working for the garbage, uh, <laughs> like for them, for the parks department <laughs> doing garbage. And uh, the color green is like where he got the pretty much the green for typo negative essentially oh yeah like the green of the parks department like trash cans and stuff like that yeah so he he basically he's like my music is trash but (laughs) but the the first two albums the first two albums that he came out with there was like um a really expansive uh on the first album like a really a bunch of like really expansive songs and like he like was doing metal and like and like gothic music and like a really avant-garde like again like a hipster kind of way and people hated it so much that he made the second album which is like a fake live album and it's called Origin of the Feces, yeah, and the pic- great, the great album title, and the picture is a picture of his asshole. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, a, hearing the description of it really doesn't, you know. Uh, once you see it in person, it's still it's still rather jarring. <laughs> it's heinous, yeah. It's gross, yeah. And hairy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I like that the concept of that album is like doing a live album is your second album, but everything's recorded in studio just to sound like a live album. Yeah, and it's just the first album again. It's just recorded <laughs> live with like fake yeah. audio. It's the it's like the worst. It's like that's like an outlier. Like if you're listening to Typo Negative, you should just not listen to that one because it fucking sucks. <laughs> <laughs> but still, you're seeing a a bold swing uh, conceptually right out of the gate. Exactly. Mm-hmm. All right, Molly, do you want to lead us yeah. through the, the steelography? I'll, I'll lead you through his his life. Um, so yeah, this book was written by, you know, an, an admitted fan of Typo Negative. Uh, he had written a fanzine about them, I think, back in the 90s. And uh, he was actually thanked in the liner notes for uh, Bloody Kisses, which was the uh, uh, Typo Negative breakout album. And he acknowledges that, you know, n- none of the uh, members of the band participated officially in interviews. He did talk to, like, family members, and he got some participation from, from that route but like he understood he he said you know writing this book is kind of like a fraught proposition um and it wasn't always approved of by everyone in peter Steele's circle peter was born in brooklyn i don't even know i'm not sure if we've done a brooklyn native uh but i'm he was born in red hook and he grew up in midwood he was born in january 4th 1962 his parents met at the saul goldman pool and the uh brooklyn natives uh <laughs> His dad worked at a shipyard. They had five daughters before Peter came along as a surprise. Uh, so this is just like this like uh, Polish Brooklyn working class, like working class to middle class family. Uh, they played music at home. His sisters brought vinyl records home. They like jammed on instruments. Peter was an extremely modest child who was apparently too bashful to order chicken breasts at the grocery store for his mom. <laughs> because it contained the word breasts. He didn't like it to say the word breasts, uh, which, you know, in the way that uh, his music turned out, it's just funny to think that he started that really way. Odd. 
And he was also uh, just a gigantic dude. He was uh, six six foot eight by the age of 18. Uh, but he was like a gentle giant and it made him a target of bullying because when you're that big, uh, apparently that makes some people try to uh, start shit with you. And so th- that was a that was a theme of his life was that he was an extremely tall dude who he, he didn't want any trouble. Um, you said he was born in Red Hook? Yes. His original neighborhood? That yeah. Would make him just slightly discontemporaneous with uh, the man... Jimmy Iovine, who was also born in Red Hook about nine years before uh, Peter Steele. Uh, Two absolute Red Hook, mid-century Red Hook legends. Um, So Peter's uh, musical awakening seemed to really happen when his sister brought a Black Sabbath record home. Um, And then he also started to meet some friends in high school, musical-minded friends, uh, to name check a few, Josh Silver and John Campos, people he would work with later on in his life. Uh, He learned guitar, but he switched to bass. He started a band called Hot Ice. Nice. And then another That's one called game, Northern yeah. Lights. And then in 1979, he started Fallout. So Fallout is his bandmate, uh, John Campos, described it as goth before goth rock even had a name. Uh, the songwriting for Fallout was, you know, kind of horror themed. Um, just to pull one example, there was a song called Parthenophagia, which was a concept <laughs> that he invented. Uh, that's the consumption of an unfertilized ovum. Uh, <laughs> <Ew>. <laughs> so he's just like basically inventing like gr- gross scenarios and writing about them for for Fallout. Ryan, have you engaged with much of the uh, the pre O negative steel work? Um, the only band I'm super familiar with, only because my coworker was like a huge fan of them, is that band Carnivore, mm-hmm. which yeah, which, yeah. Is, which is really odd. They have this one album. Let me pull it up. I think it's called Retaliation. It's a really great, great interesting name. one mm-hmm. uh, with the song uh, Jesus Hitler. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and another song called Very Jack odd. Daniels and Pizza. <laughs> this is very like edge you know pre, almost like proto hardcore edgelord stuff it's like 4chan like hardcore yeah. yeah i mean it's funny like hearing that you know this, this is from like the black sabbath tradition that leads into this kind of like edgy goth type thing because you know even like five or six years later you would be seeing a lot of the same kind of impulses coming out of like the hardcore scene but that stuff was you know coming out of the weird mutations of punk music rather mm-hmm. than the weird mutations of being you know a, an ozzy osbourne head you know yeah exactly they recorded, you know, uh, in traditional like early recording mode, like found just like a guy who had a studio in Brooklyn that they were like, yeah, can we please like, you know, record like overnight, like for not that much money. So uh, it's funny. I, I do wonder like running a, a studio, do you just does every band that comes in, you're just like, maybe this could be like some someone that gets written about and podcast about someday. I don't know. <laughs> I would be willing to bet that the vibe if you run a recording studio the vibe within the first 30 seconds of talking to any like new band that comes in you could immediately sort them into either like the top 50 cent or body bottom 50 percent you know uh you can basically you uh, would be able to if you did it for any amount of time basically be able to look at somebody and very instantly be like well these guys will at least try or these guys are total washouts. These guys, these guys are done. <laughs> yeah, probably harder to tell nowadays than back then, because back then, it, yeah, yeah as you're saying, it's so easy to sort them into like, yeah, the, yeah, there's going to be like top fifty fodder, or like, oh, these guys are doing something different, and it's good, or like, this is shit. That's probably like the three categories. Nowadays, yeah. <laughs> it's like, 
I don't know. Like this is shit, but it's going to be top 50. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, Let's see. Fallout gigged around uh, mostly Brooklyn at local clubs. Uh, Josh Silver had a deal apparently with uh, the Sam Ash music store where uh, discontinued or like defunct keyboards. He would get to, he he would get to buy them for like 15 or 20 bucks and then they would play a full set. He would have them on stage and then pretend kind of to play them. And then at the end of the set, he would destroy the keyboard (laughs) that didn't work, which I'm like, that is so smart. (laughs) That's a a wonderful routine. Molly, have you ever, uh, or Ryan, have you ever made a pilgrimage to the Sam Ash store in Times Square? No, Uh, not that one. But I used to go to Sam Ash all the time when I used to play guitar when I was little. Yeah, Uh, it's a funny story. I don't know if I've ever told this on a podcast or anything, but like I used to play guitar um, like a good amount and I would never practice. But I started playing Guitar Hero and I got way better at that shit than I did at um, (laughs) guitar. And I'd be like ripping an expert on guitar, but like I'd be down in my like, uh, uh, like music teacher's basement, like ding, ding, ah, crap. Like, I don't know. (laughs) You're like, you have to see me on guitar here. I promise it. Now there's only way to gamify the actual guitar. Yeah, Um, I know. (laughs) I used to go to Sam, I should get all my gear. That's kind of where that was leading to. (laughs) I just had always thought of the, um, you know, the, the, the Times Square Sam Ash is like the Sam Ash store that I know that, uh, you know, all, all the musicians would always go to. So I, I remember also hanging out in Sam Ash a lot when I was a kid and been playing shitty guitar. Uh, yeah. But, you know, I just remember one day when I, in the first year that I moved here, that it was like my day trip to like make a pilgrimage to the Times Square Sam Ash just to like look at all, like touch mm-hmm. all the guitars and, and, and uh, you know, saxophones and everything. Uh, <laughs> just because I knew it was like a place where other people had gone to buy <laughs> instruments, like famous yeah. people. Yeah. Maybe John Legendary. Legend touched the saxophone. Who knows? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, they they had some kind of more advanced ideas about how to like you know do stagecraft and grab people's attention. Mm-hmm. There's another one where uh, they were playing a battle of the bands in Brooklyn, and they arranged to show up in a hearse, but they showed up late enough that everyone who was like waiting outside to go into the club already went inside, and so they just showed up in a hearse with like <laughs> nobody was there. <laughs> there. That's that rocks. Very funny. It's like the, you know the the thought that counts, and they were big on merch, and apparently they were like really good at like flyers and like created buttons. So like they had they were already going like kind of above and beyond, and you know I'm sure the music was already pretty tight, but I can't imagine it was not that hard to stand out in like the Brooklyn music scene if you just like had your basic shit together from a promotional standpoint. Do yeah, Battle sure. of the Bands still exist in like regional uh, locations? Should. Do wish, either of you guys did either of you guys ever have a battle of the bands in your life? I was never artistically gifted enough. I'll be uh, keep it real with you. <laughs> I mean, like, did anybody around? Was there a battle of the bands that you knew of? A local oh. battle of the bands? Did you? There was one in the basement of, of my local library <laughs> that I vaguely remember that you just that that you just unlocked the memory in my head. <laughs> yeah. But other than that, no, uh, Molly. I don't I don't remember I'm sure there was something there was a there was I do remember there was like a sort of charity like it wasn't a a real maybe it was a competition but it was more like a talent show that I was in an acapella group in high school that we got to participate in that Um, but I don't think we could steal the valor of uh, calling ourselves a band considering we did not have any instruments so Uh, Um, there was there was a local battle of the bands I remember attending at least in like 2005 in the Cincinnati area at the Bo- at Bogarts. Uh, and the main thing that I remember from this was uh, my f- buddy uh, Alec was in a was a bassist in uh, a rock band, and you could tell the quality of this uh, rock band because the uh, the front man, uh, you know, this is 2005. You've got the garage rock revival mm-hmm. in full swing. You've got mm-hmm. the Strokes. 
Very great. We love the strokes. Uh, the hives, kind of the Swedish uh, strokes, a little like cheeky or anything. And then you've also got the vines. Well, the front man of my uh, buddy's Alex band chose to wore a the vines t-shirt to his battle of the <laughs> bands, which shows you his uh, taste and everything. And his big deal was that uh, he had practiced really hard to uh, execute playing a guitar solo behind his back, yeah, behind dude. his head. Uh, for Let's it, fucking go. Which he <laughs> successfully did. But unfortunately, every other part of the song sucked. Uh, can't, of, can't make up for that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to the detriment of like, if you're the leader of your band and the, the thing that you're like, the most important part of this band is the behind the head guitar <laughs> solo. solo is way too specific. Yes. <laughs> but I don't think you're going to set yourself up for victory in the, uh, in the <laughs> battle of the bands. No. Well, uh, uh, Fallout made a splash, broke up in 1981, so they were together for just a couple of years. Uh, Peter Steele started another band called Disciple that kind of faded away, and then Carnivore, uh, the the band that you were talking about. Carnivore is described in this book as a roving triumvirate of post-apocalyptic thermonuclear warrior cannibals. (laughs) And so I think they wore, like, costumes with, like, fur and, like, leather and, like, maybe some fake blood. Like, they really, like, got into it. Uh, now, is that describing the the concept of the band itself or just literally what the guys in it were like? I think a little <laughs> bit of both. I, th- I think there was some like lore, right? Like there was a little bit of like the way that they were singing was as if, you know, the apocalypse had happened. And yeah, it's was like, carnivor- con- carnivorous. It's like a, yeah, a it's Mad like- Max band. Or like a Spinal Tap type thing when they got into like that whatever like the the Stonehenge phase or whatever it's probably something like that <laughs> a little bit of combination com- combining everything together in a way but this yeah. is the band that I was that I had mentioned with uh, Jesus Hitler on their yes. album um, they got very edgy with this one there's like some like weird like almost like ed- I, I don't know there's like always like an adjacent like Nazi thing running through punk music which I always mm-hmm. like found really distasteful and fucked up and gross yeah, uh, yeah if you ever go to like Search and Destroy like you can find that kind of adjacent stuff there like that story in a uh, uh, in New York, but um, yeah, that, that's always the one thing with punk music that I always don't fuck with. That, like, go way too edgy with it, and then they get into Nazi stuff, and it's like, please, just don't, please don't. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not not to defend the Nazism in punk, of course. <laughs> <Yay>. <laughs> Let's go, Chris. I, you're gonna you're gonna get clipped out just. To, <laughs> uh, but of course, blackmail. But at least in that like first, I was I forget what I was listening to, but I was listening to like somebody who was like one of those real first generation like kind of Ramones era punk people that was kind of explaining it of being like you have to remember that none of these people were smart enough to have any political takes or valence that it wasn't like a political idea that it was like, like we're in support of fascism. It was literally like watching movies on late night TV and watching shit like surf Nazis must die or something and being like, wouldn't it be funny if we dressed up as the villains from this movie? Like it was like watching, you know, Saturday cartoon, Saturday morning cartoons and being like, wonder if we dressed up as the baddies from Scooby-Doo rather than the good guys. Uh, like that for the fucking third Reich, yeah yeah but, but that's like <laughs> obviously yeah, yeah, not to defend it, but, but you know that makes sense to me it's like the, the ramones in 77 or 70 or like anybody listening to those guys didn't have like a political ideology they were just like looking at their parents generation being like who did these guys hate wonder if we dressed up like those guys like that you know that yes. extent of it obviously today there's now been read into it like a whole like weird stormfront uh, aesthetic that actually is politicized but you know to give a a um a, a small amount of, of cover for the uh lunkhead teenagers of at least the late 70s to the early 2000 or early 80s uh yeah. that made at least a little bit of sense to me 
Yeah. It's I also mean, the the almost I mean, I'm sure someone smarter has like written or thought about this before, but like late seventies, early eighties, perfect distance away from yeah. that horror to start to like kind of poke at it, as yeah. opposed to like if you're yeah. within the same like decade or two decades, like you probably knew people who were, who were involved somehow directly. So like, mm-hmm. yeah, I can I can see not not that you would know Nazis, but you know what I mean. Uh, yeah. I mean, like Hogan's Heroes was on TV at like by like 1971, and in those in in that the you know the bad guys are like lovably befuddled, you know, like you know rotund Nazi jokes, and then you're like, mm-hmm. wonder if we dressed up as the bad bad guys from Hogan's Heroes. Mm-hmm. The the other thing that the carnivore song Jesus Hitler is it is that like 4chan it is that kind of like what if tee he he like you know the most forbid it's it's conflating Jesus Christ and yeah, Adolf exactly. Hitler as like what if it was it, I mean sorry this is like very dark but the lyrics are his mother a nun raped by a Nazi at the end of the second <laughs> great war gave birth to a son who would change the future for better or worse he's not sure it's almost like doesn't that almost sound like a Mel Brooks song like yeah. Yeah, exactly exactly it's, the lot the line is so fuzzy and the problem is it is when people take it the fans yeah, take exactly. it seriously and then run away with it but like that almost sounds like like a comedy so like even they talk about swear to the holy swat swats of fix it's so it's to me it's it's car- it's so cartoony <laughs> Probably yeah. shouldn't get too deep into be into defending uh, Nazis. Yeah, yeah. And the <laughs> yeah no, I think we're yeah. talking about that very first generation and why they might be attracted to that stuff. Yeah, yeah. What I will say is they redeem themselves with not like like once I got the bloody kisses, I kind of like wash all that away. It's kind of like a shit posting practice gross. ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, th- I think gro- growth is growth is important. Speaking of maybe not growth, another lyric, a set of lyrics that I pulled out that was mentioned from the song "Predator" by Carnivore: "Broken, splintered bones, boiling blood, torn and bleeding skin, blackened, burning flesh, melting fat, amputated limbs, eviscerated lungs, torn out, heart ripped from the chest." decapitated a meal of vagina and breasts it's like almost parody like it's like it's it's so gross that it's like is this supposed to be funny (laughs) like yeah it it, it reminds me of like earl like the like the first earl sweatshirt um yeah uh, yeah mixtape with that song epar with uh obviously everybody can figure out what that spells backwards uh with vince staples <laughs> and then there's that song called earl where he's like basically like eating like tying a girl up in the basement and like his like and then in the music video like his teeth and shit are falling out and like his eyeballs are falling out and like it's like very like provocative music i think it's uh, i think it's probably like a good way before uh like cancel culture and stuff it was probably the best way to get on the scene and get people paying attention to you Yep, um, people people will notice. Yeah, my problem with someone like Marilyn Manson because I don't really I don't really like his music. I think he just kept doing that, and that's what kind of like uh, he never really transitioned into like making the best type of music. I don't know. Like I feel like Nine Inch Nails did the same thing, like very provocative up front, and then just kind of like switched to like you know pretty hate machine, and then downward spiral, and like really like classic albums. But yeah, uh, and, and Type of Negative did pretty much the same thing. I, would well, say. I also think that one of the big problems of Meryl Manson was instead of just writing songs about like wonder if there was a scary vampire eventually started getting high on the supply and being like, no, I am the scary vampire. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, but yeah, the the trajectory is what is what ideally you would look for, I think, of some kind mm-hmm. of not not necessarily maturity, but just like you know, thinking about other things besides uh you know decapitation or whatever. Well, you can also get a, a kind of maturity in like command artistic command of the material where like that that thing that you just read is like literally a laundry list of just gross things that happen to people and then you get we'll get yeah. a little further into the 90s and you know the he's still clearly fixated on a lot of the like gross ideation but he is able to like write a joke you know oh, where yeah. you're like you're, there's like a lyric there that ends with you know as i brought up ear- earlier like fucking a dead girl but the line that gets you there makes you realize, oh, that's a punchline, you know? Mm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm. Exactly. It's That's growth, yeah. you know? <laughs> it's yeah. growth. <laughs> so Peter's doing his thing with uh, Carnivore. They signed to local label Roadrunner Records. They released one self-titled album in 1985. Um, but meanwhile, and this is one of the things I think is most interesting about Peter, is that he was also living this very kind of conventional and you could even say sheltered life in Brooklyn. His first job was at a place called Crazy Joe's Metalworks. Uh, <laughs> and then he worked, yeah, he worked for the Parks Department and it sounds like he was literally just kind of roaming around different parks, like picking up picking up trash. And apparently, he was vigilant about confronting people who disrespected nature. <laughs> he uh, rocks, like dude. he like he, he like took so it personally. Hard. Like, and uh, can you imagine if you like chucked or even like tossed a cigarette or like chucked a balled up piece of paper in the park, and then a six foot eight dude who is Peter Steele like bears down on you? Is like, are you gonna pick that up? <laughs> you're, you're gonna pick that up. <laughs> Are you gonna get that? I, I'm my park. Six, six foot eight, but I'm I'm watching a uh, carnivore performance from 1984 in the background of this. This guy is fucking enormous. Yeah. He looks like if anybody's seen the North Northman, this is the person I have seen in real life who most looks like Alexander Skarsgård in the, in the uh, Northman, and he is terrifying in that movie. This guy, this guy's body is wild. Yes, I would be absolutely terrified if this guy literally asked me literally anything, including like directions on the street. <laughs> my my friend, I wish my co my ex my coworker was in here. I forgot his. I'm forgetting his name at the moment, but he saw like every single carnivore, every single like typo show. Oh man! Yeah, he cool. saw like 20, 20 different shows. He went to like Germany to go see them, all these different places. But he, I remember he said something about that uh, during one of the early carnivore shows. I'm watching it right now. Like you said, um, they had like pig guts or something that they like threw out into the <laughs> the crowd. And somebody threw it back at him and hit him in the chest. And he goes, nice one. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. Oh, man. Oh, it's so good. So, yeah, it's all good fun, you know? (laughs) He's he's skulking around uh, New York City parks, making sure that people don't don't litter. He is the gentle giant. He's literally living in his parents' basement, which he does for almost his entire adult life, which is also really interesting that he like he's this this dude is living with his mom because it's you know it's familiar and what he knows. Like he's still he's he is dated. He starts to date people. He got married once to this woman uh, named Donna uh, on it was a Halloween wedding. So he's like he's having relationships, but he is still like it is a little bit of a weird case of arrested development in some ways. He's at home in this kind of like comfortable, like middle class Brooklyn lifestyle <laughs> while he's, yeah. re- again, singing about, uh, you know, raping and pillaging and, and Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> covered in pig's guts. Yeah, I guess yeah. I, I see 
and in relationship to me, um, uh, uh, I would say I also live with my mom. <laughs> That's kind of where I just want to put you. Uh, I didn't want to d- draw a direct comparison right to him, but I also live with my mom. Uh, oh, no, I don't I feel re- bad saying it's Arrested Development, but he, it was only because uh, no, no, he no, did no, no. it his it's entire cool, cool. life. He yeah. did no, it until cool. he was like 48 years old. It's anyway. cool. It's cool. It's cool. It's cool. Uh, but yeah, I do. I do similar things. Like I'll like I'll go out to like like Brooklyn for some random fucking rave event or something, or like to go see Dorian Electra, and then like it'll take me four hours to get there and back <laughs> essentially. And I'm just like, yeah, fuck it, whatever. Come back yeah. here. You know what I mean? Let my dog out. Yeah. You know, he has no idea what I'm seeing. <laughs> out there. Yeah. The difference. The difference is, is that uh, you, you know, you are building something. He is working at the parks department and then putting on fur <laughs> and playing in a metal band at night. And again, know? he did this. He did this basically until almost the end of his life. <laughs> so. And a spoiler that becomes even more uh, absurd once he becomes a like multi gold and platinum selling recording yeah. artist. Yeah, that's yeah. wild. I didn't know that. That's a great fact that you pulled. Yeah, he, yeah, he's like, he'll tour Europe and play like huge, you know, rock on ring or whatever, and then like mm-hmm. go home. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, well, speaking of maybe, you know, tying into some of his other personal life, we'll get, throw a little content warning for self mutilation. You know, he would do stuff like cut himself backstage in front of like, his friends parents and his bandmates parents like he had he it from everyone's accounts it sounds like he was like a well-adjusted guy in a lot of ways and then he also had this side of him that would come out that would be like to me sounds like incredibly disturbing but everyone was just mm-hmm. like oh yeah that's just like that's just peter stuff uh you know <laughs> he's, he's he signed a, a record deal in in his own blood and like <laughs> he wants to be Ozzy so bad. <laughs> yeah. Like he's he's kind of getting it the way he lives it. Um, but you know, yeah. there's there's these signs that despite being from all accounts like a very sweet boy, uh, who like helps his neighbors, helps old people in the neighborhood, like is great to his parents and his sisters, but then like he's got this like kind of dark undercurrent that is starting to bubble up the older he gets. So mm-hmm. we'll put a we'll put a pin in that. Um uh, the sign the record kind of the thing is that he wants to be Ozzy so bad, you know, it does just seem like he had read somewhere that Ozzy did that and was like, I just thought that's what you did. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? Not everyone, not everyone yeah. does this. <laughs> the, the record is like being like, we don't, we have, we have pens, dude. You don't need to do that. And he's like, Oh, well, I already did. <laughs> I already did. Um, he, he was raised Catholic, um, but he became pretty, oh, really? no. <laughs> spoiler yes. alert, shocker, Catholic boys stand up the Hulk, hulking man who lives with his mom his entire life and thinks only about like death and like how women have betrayed him and <gasps> backs and shit like that. Oh no. A Catholic? No, Catholic. no way. I know. It's very surprising. Uh, okay, yeah, and a Catholic, you know, who who starts to question Catholicism and uh, has that become painful. Um, he, this is the way he describes kind of this, you know, adolescence into becoming a young adult. He says, "When I was growing up, I thought the world was going to be completely different. I had a different picture of what the world would be like. Now that I'm grown, I don't like it. I find it very difficult to live in the world the way it is." Mm. Yeah, same dude. Yeah. I mean, gosh, lately, you know, looking, (laughs) looking around and waving, waving your hands around like, yeah, if you see the world as it is, it's hard to be like, oh, yeah, everything's everything's fine. (laughs) Somebody would make some really heavy yet melodic music about this. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, his his friend, uh, a guy named Stephen Blush, who is the author of American Hardcore, A Tribal History, which sounds like something (laughs) we should read. He said, 
Peter, Sk- Peter Steele was gigantic and scary, and he wasn't comfortable with that side of himself. He wasn't that person. That's where the torture was, a guy not comfortable in his own shoes. Mm-hmm. So by the mid-'80s, he starts to draw inspiration from hardcore, uh, specifically um, New York hardcore is bubbling up. It sounds like it's a particularly like aggressive kind of format of hardcore. Um, and then he starts uh, contributing some lyrics to the band, the hardcore band, Agnostic Front, mm-hmm. specifically a song called Public Assistance. And Public Assistance is about his uh, unhappiness with paying taxes when some people are on welfare. Welfare queen, uh, yes. Yes, yes, I know. Like, yeah, is, not fuck Agnostic Front, by the way. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, and, you know, this, uh, I think he, it, I mean, from what it sounds like, it sounds like his political views are, you know, may, maybe don't align necessarily with my own or perhaps with your own. Uh, mm. But he he starts getting perceived as this guy, like a, a truly like right-wing musician, um, which mm. I'm sure if you were a, a cr- critical of Peter Steele at this time, you would point at him and be like, yeah, I'm critical because of all the everything that he he sings um but he that that is like another kind of notch in this like public perception of him as like someone who is like conservative in a in a way that's unpleasant uh and he (laughs) he has a friend who says peter was a kind of social experiment set to music (laughs) gone wrong gone second peter Peter Steele is an experiment (laughs) conducted by the uh, harvard department of sociology (laughs) yeah Yeah. like 20 years uh I don't know what it is that New York, like New York has produced so many lovely bands, joyous bands, thoughtful, fun, interesting, confrontational bands, uh, especially the punk scene, you know, everything from, you know, uh, Ramones to, you know, uh, uh, Talking Heads to, to Sonic Youth. The strain, I don't know what it is that the strain of hardcore that developed in New York City was like the all the worst impulses of that movement just like collected among the like grimiest, most fucked up, angry, angry in like a mean, bad way type of guys. Yeah. That I see, I like saying. the Cro-Mags and the agnostic front and stuff like that. I, I, I'm not quite sure what it is. Something to look into. We should do a book about New York hardcore sometime and, and get, get to the bottom about uh, why they all suck so much. <laughs> <laughs> why they're all so fucking dreadful and racist and blaming yeah, exactly. uh, minorities for their problems and shit. Yeah. Right, <laughs> right. Definitely. I would right. look into that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so carnivore kind of, uh, you know, dissolves in 1989. It's just a case of, you know, I mean, Peter's still like working full time. I think everyone else in the band was working full time too. So it was just kind of like, what are we all doing? Uh, and then, you know, so they broke up, uh, he started a new band with Josh Silver, Kenny Hickey and Sal Abruscato. Um, they didn't originally, I believe their first name together was repulsion, but, and they put out an album called none more negative. They all got negative sign tattoos. And then, Mm. uh, just a dash or a line. I think it's a, is it a, da- a line with a circle around it? The oh, circle a- with a little dash. And if you added two more dashes on the end and t- tilted it a little bit, it would be our logo. So, uh, hey. yeah, 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 something to think about, you know? Something to think about. <laughs> you got it. Starting logo first, I think, is a really, really good way to go. I mean, so, I'm sure some it's people smart. would be like, what about the music? But I'm like, no. then you have a logo, then you're good to go. <laughs> go with the logo first. And then you can just like, once you got a logo that you like, then you can just kind of like sit in your practice space and stare at the logo and imagine what music would emanate from that logo mm-hmm. and then you yeah. boom immediate conceptual cohesion of your of your project 
it's a very Lynchian type of strategy with uh, yeah. uh, create creative creativeness that I fuck with for sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I think uh, having been in a few bands uh, that I thought played well together, but kind of lacked co- conceptual cohesion. If I was to do it again, I would start with the logo and then uh, from there create a uh, album name and album cover, and then write a track list, and then la- last write name write the songs <laughs> figure out which, and then you figure out what genre <laughs> what yeah, exactly. you. <laughs> yeah all the way at the end i can come last because at that point then you know what you want it to sound like and then you just all you yeah. do is just like force the sounds into existence yeah that makes sense to me yeah yeah so yeah t- uh typo negative uh comes into existence it, they play their first official show as that band in 1991 uh and they had put out like a prior release as repulsion but they basically re-released it as the album slow deep and hard <laughs> <laughs> also a great name and uh peter is credited on this album as vox bass hammers and axes bulldozer <laughs> front end loader and steamroller all fire and wolves autumn uh green dusk iron eight that's the number anger emerald north druid that's his credits it's elon musk's son's name (laughs) (laughs) so yeah they this is a vibe um uh this is definitely a vibe and the, the the music seems to have uh uh progressed from kind of the the 80s into the 90s and it's also sounds like you know in addition to him being kind of a a great songwriter uh he's the the time is right like you know 1991 like the popular music is just getting really heavy so it like kind of makes sense that they're kind of fitting into that into that particular groove once we get to like the second uh and third album these this really sounds like something that you would be scouting specifically like right after like i don't know uh smashing pumpkins and nine inch nails hit Mm -hmm. you know Yeah, yeah that makes sense to me they they really seem like they fit right in like that. And I, I guess you would need a few other of those industrial bands to break first. And then this would be like in that wave. Yeah, no, I, uh, I definitely agree. It's like a little bit edgy, a little bit like a little bit artistic, a little bit different. And mm-hmm. like, I don't know, I can see what I can see what you're saying with like Smashing Pumpkins, because like the first song is called Unsuccessfully Coping with the Natural Beauty of Infidelity. And it's like, <laughs> basically just a song about getting cucked. And it's like, tw- it's like 13 <laughs> minutes long. And it's broken up into three parts. That is called it. <laughs> And the last part is called I Know You're Fucking Somebody Else. That's the third part. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're fucking somebody this is it's it's very Talk good it's, it feels so modern like that feels so contemporary to me like the kind of he- heavy heavy music and like joking but not joking like mm-hmm. uh you know way ways of uh naming and describing it uh that is the other main thing about uh, this band as they get into their main sequence of albums uh they they find it incredibly difficult to write a song that's less than seven minutes long Oh yeah, he called yeah. them his babies. He would call his songs his babies, and he he oh. got mad when the radio was trying to shorten them because he'd be like, <laughs> he'd basically be like, "You're like killing my baby." Oh, uh, yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> that's their first. That's their first effort. Um, and it sounds like you know, uh, kind of how how does it happen that these things are successful? It just sounds like they had all played long enough that they were just like pretty good and fit right into the scene. And there you go. Um, but then they got together and tried to tour in Europe, and they basically got like chased out of Europe uh, <laughs> because they had the rep- their reputation had preceded them as like a fascist band, which Peter Steele uh... I think correctly. Uh, 
you know, notes, he was like, there were actual Nazis. Like that, that was like, we weren't Nazis. Like there were Nazis in all of these places. Like we weren't them and we were, we weren't trying to cater to them, but like, I'm simply asking questions about welfare reform. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. yeah, yeah. This is like, Like, this is a classic case of the Spider-Man all pointing at each other at the same time. Well, again, Mm -hmm. like, I don't know, Peter, at least from what I've I've heard of Steele, it doesn't seem like he has a guy who has like particularly strong political convictions. It just seems like he was hanging out too much with agnostic front. He's just like a shithead. Yeah, uh, pretty much. But a genius at the same time, oddly enough. Yeah, he definitely progressed past those bands because like there was this band called um, what the fuck is the name? Anal Cun? I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah. Or AXCX. And uh, they're crazy. Like their lead singer would like um, inject heroin on stage. Yeah. Ooh. He would, yeah. My, my same coworker who I mentioned before saw them a couple of times, and he was just like, "Yeah, like I was, that guy was genuinely like fucked in the head. Like he had like no brain cells. Like, and oh he would never be able to come up with a beautiful concept such as <laughs> the slow, deep, and hard." You know, <laughs> the weird, the ironic thing about the European controversy is that it fed into album sales in Europe because they weren't just typo negative; they were typo negative. The guys who got like chased out of Austria because they were too fast to play a show, and then everyone's mm. like, "Oh, that's just." that's just this music we must, <laughs> yeah. we must check it out so like perfect kind of feedback <laughs> loop of controversy into like genuine interest mm-hmm. so yeah the the next album was bloody kisses uh what i think everyone kind of in this book at least agreed was the creative peak of typo negative uh peter says he was less uh he was less obsessed with rage and revenge oh we got the vinyl out great look nice. at that how great wow. is that album cover it's, my, it's one of my favorites. It's so, it's so wild. Hot. Yeah, <laughs> you know it's extremely mean? hot. It's too for those yeah. listening along. It's two two goth gothly styled ladies in a uh, passionate embrace. But it's tasteful. Are you, are you unboxing on the mic, Ryan? Oh yeah, yeah. I was going. <laughs> I think they're. I think I feel like the vinyl is green. I haven't opened this before. Great. Well, we're we're getting the vinyl reveal right here live ASMR. on ASMR recording. Yeah, yeah baby. Uh, this is the green. one that I uh, listen to the no, most. It's not green, but it is thick. Uh, Ooh, it is okay. thick. <laughs> this yeah. is the one I listened to the most in prep uh, for this recording, and guess what? This album rocks. It's great. Yeah. Any yeah. any uh, any f- further thought? A f- favorite song or you know anything that stood out? Stood I mean, the ones I like are the ones that are generally considered the classics that they seem to play at like basically every performance. You know, Christian Woman. Uh, I I really appreciate the kind of heart on sleeve cheesiness of the non guitar sounds on this. Like the the um the keyboards and organs sound almost like um the the first MIDI pack that you would open in like a 1994 like PC, uh, like really yeah, cheesy sure. like keyboard tones. But it really helps drive home the kind of uh dire sincerity of the entire thing, which then it's so like direly sincere that it then really sells the parts of it that are really funny. Uh, Mm -hmm. It it just like really perfectly rides that line of being like too, too heavy and self-serious for its own good. And then at the exact moment where you're like, this is fucking hilarious that this is so heavy. He like cracks a joke. There's like a joke in the lyrics and you're like, Oh, this is funny. I'm right there with it. And then of, of course, all the like guitar work is incredibly heavy and sick and his voice just sounds mm. absolutely amazing. It, it, it's a little like, I mean, I would describe it almost as like Bauhaus vocals over, over Metallica 
like a slow the, the slower end of Metallica uh, backing, yeah. but it, it really just it it folds all together and it sounds it sounds great. It, it it really just like when I first put this on, like blew me away about how mm-hmm. like concrete of a full concept it was and how well executed. It, it took me a little while to get into this one, but it, it really um, rewards itself. I think my favorite albums, honestly, are the ones that I don't like that much at first, like and and I kind of have to get into them yeah. and they unlock themselves as I go along. Like uh, like Jesus was definitely that way for me up front, and this album for sure, especially the original version because they had a digipack version which um, kind of cut all like these random like little parts out of it. Like there's a song called Machine Screw in the beginning where it's just like women moaning, and then there's mm-hmm. a Faye Ray come out and play, which actually does remind me of the Northmen. It's almost like a raping and pillaging yeah. or like a ritualistic <laughs> sex like like uh, skit or whatever. There's a song called Kill All the White People on here. Um, the, the little like, hardcore songs are really funny yeah they, they're fantastic i love and i love christian woman and black number one because i think i don't know if this has been proven or not but i i feel like one of these two is uh, the christian woman and then the other one is the like the uh, one that dyes her hair black or something okay, like that. I see that yeah i feel like that makes sense i feel like him him having a threesome with his his two most popular songs just like makes sense <laughs> to me <laughs> and and black number one is a great song too because the whole song is just this like send send up of like this uh goth woman uh who like whose uh roots are showing and they're like gray so he, she has to dye them black so black number one is named after like the hair dye essentially uh. that the lady would use to dye her hair um <laughs> Christian woman is great. It has a great breakdown at the end. Of course, the Jesus Christ looks like me line. Um, just clap. And the seals and crofts cover on here. Summer breeze. <laughs> Which uh, they have a cover pretty much on uh, all their albums until he, until he, he passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, it really sets the tone for everything. And this also sets off their romantic era because it goes with mm. uh, this this album and then the one after it are their two romantic albums where they're singing about like it's almost like the next one has the next album has like kind of poppy songs on it like my girlfriend's girlfriend and stuff like that but then you get into the album after that and then that's when they get into their just like straight up just death era until he literally dies and Mm -hmm. he's making music about dying while he's dying (laughs) yeah which is crazy yeah but don't want to get too ahead of ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> and then I think I, I can't remember whether I had previously noted this, but he is like the main song writer. Like, I don't think it's like yeah. a, an equal collab. Like, you know, there, there might uh, be some jamming, but like, it sounds like he comes to the band with pretty fully formed ideas. Yes. Uh, and there's two vocalists on here. It took me a while to realize that uh, it goes in between like the really, really deep vocals are Peter. But then when it goes like die black, that's a different guy. Okay. So basically, basically he would go off on these crazy tangents. Like he would want a song to be 20 minutes and then his bandmates would be like peter this fucking sucks like nobody's gonna listen to this peter come on we gotta rein it in we we gotta make this accessible we gotta make it uh you know radio friendly nine minutes yeah nine minutes exactly so his his bandmates would talk him off the ledge while he would try and make these big like crazy statements essentially and then down and that's the thing yeah. you get immediately is that he is this like dramatic operetta, which, which I really like coming from, you know, being a huge like Bauhaus fan. Like I immediately mm-hmm. like key into the the goth, like heavy, like dying drama, just dripping oh, yeah. from like every uh, lyric, every line, every, every delivery. Um, mm-hmm. And then it's just like buoyed by this just like fucking rip ass metal music behind it. It's awesome. Yeah. Like Death in the Family is really like Death in the Family <laughs> with the organs behind it and shit. Super <laughs> dramatic. 
Yeah. It is. I feel like the, the, at least the kind of goth posturing is not really posturing for him. Like, like he just, it's just what it is. Like, I don't know. I feel like there's, there are some people who are like, I am going to choose to be goth. And that is the aesthetic that I'm going to channel. And he was like, I'm six yeah. foot eight with long flowing hair. And like, I kind of look like a vampire. He got his teeth, by the way, sculpted into fangs. Oh my uh, God. His incisors. He, he fucking but, rocks. From a like, which I think he went to just like a Brooklyn dentist. Which I'm like, shout out to that guy that I he's just, just like, like really like to hear that conversation. I need you to file these. Look, sir, I took a whatever the dental version of a Hippocratic oath is. I can't do that. He's like, I need. I it is who I am. Yeah. Stop being a pussy. File <laughs> my damn teeth. Uh, no, I mean that's the thing about like the the true like goth from ends, and really the true. Uh, you know, again, I've, I. I, I you know, I, I made fun earlier for of Marilyn Manson for like buying into his own bullshit. But the thing about Marilyn Manson is that, you know, the thing that made him able to be in like Bowling for Columbine and, uh, you know, speak so eloquently about his music is that there is a line where he knows that knows that he's playing an act. But, the, you know, some of these like real first generation goth 80s guys like I'm sorry, Peter Murphy that that dude's a dracula he's a he's a real life dracula and yeah, yeah. and that's just like it's not a put on it's just like who mm-hmm. he is and you know uh, uh if the coffin fits you know peter still the way that he's talking about himself he is a frankenstein he has to sing these these uh you know weird dramatic frankenstein songs you know yeah yeah it's the same with like um um the same with ozzy i mean he was on he was yeah. on acid every single fucking day of his life like literally mm-hmm like his brain t- turned into something else completely and he like yeah. was believing that's what he was ozzy is a a bat he's a bat yeah he's he's, he's a bat, a bat. <laughs> yeah. he's not a vampire he's an actual just is he a batman bat. he's just a bat he's just a bat guy he's a bat guy he's a bat guy yeah he I, the thing uh, this is like uh gonna be a, a weird a weird jumping comparison for sure but i think playboy cardi is doing a similar thing nowadays where he just went completely vampire which mm-hmm. i really fucking love i love the way that he he totally immersed himself in that whole like being a vampire on like codeine instead it's like <laughs> a little bit vampire. of a switch That's, yeah <laughs> he, he rocks dial it the ultimate vampire thing to do yes yes uh one thousand percent the the un uh, arise unlit uh <laughs> yeah 2022 uh we're going nosferatu mode yeah mm-hmm. we're taking the vampire pill uh ethically of course but uh but just in style essentially essentially yes wait who's oh uh nick nicholas cage is about to to uh he's he's shooting a vampire movie right now i believe so yeah yeah in new orleans of a vampire city so yeah it's Uh, all happening speaking of the northman uh i don't know if it's still happening but eggers uh robert eggers's next project is supposed to be a remake of nosferatu i i i I think uh vampires are coming back in a big way but not like the uh the the ya vampires of a decade ago i think like the uh the heavy gothic vampires uh, of 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 your yeah yeah he was uh cardi was watching the um the um werner herzog version of nostrum i think yeah yeah with with kanye i remember on that big ass like tv oh yes yes. so that's that's when i knew it was going to be a good album because i was (laughs) i was like if you're being influenced by that like that's 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 that kanye doing the big screen screenings continues to be the the number one thing i'm jealous of is that he just like gets these warehouses and projects i'm like to be able to do that and just watch like fucking austin powers and gold member that's not the yeah i would be watching the dumbest shit from the yeah from the the clips that i saw it really seemed like he set up that whole experience and obviously Kanye has a, a very like high and a, acute sense of aesthetics but it really did seem like he set up that whole experience and then whatever you came over and wanted to screen it was like yeah sure throw it on and if it's your playbook cardi and you're like i need to watch the herzog version of nosferatu he's like yeah throw it on 
this you need to watch is Nathan it. for you. That's what yeah. I would like. <laughs> <laughs> Just fucking 100 foot tall Nathan Fielder. Oh, that would yeah. rock. He'd pro- honestly, he'd probably, Connie would probably enjoy it. I think you'd get a kick he out of it. Yeah. He'd be like, he's just like me. Yeah. <laughs> Bullshit artist. <laughs> and, then, kind of, and then he shows up for his next thing in a big suit, but not a David Byrne big suit, but a Nathan yeah. Fielder big suit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, with Typo Negative, uh, this, the album goes gold, which is incredible. Uh, Bloody Kisses go, goes gold. Uh, and he kind of becomes like, you know, a, an instant rock star uh i mean he's it sounds like he's been kind of you know waiting for this moment for over a decade but uh he's the band gets picked to open for nine inch nails gets picked to open for motley crew um so like getting getting the co-signs from other way way more established people in the the rock vibe helps uh he immediately gets as i i'm sure will not be surprising to hear like not just groupies but like full-on stalkers because like you know people who obsessed obsessed people who think that you know he's speaking to them alone and therefore i need to like bust into your house kind of thing his mom's house his mom's, yeah. his mom's house excuse me which i'm sure sure his mom is psyched for that peter there are more of those weird people out front peter there's some girl saying that you're her soulmate and she's going to kill herself if you don't need her right now peter i'm just yeah just doing lois really <laughs> good um he's also he's indulging a little bit more in alcohol specifically he has a taste for dry red wine which is very again very like he like he he'll drink like like several bottles of dry red wine like a night on tour um mm. and then he's also he it should be noted here because this is a part of his appeal especially to women is that this dude was fucking jacked um he would like bring weights on the tour bus and like lift weights he was like a slim fast freak like he had like slim fast on his tour rider like he was re- he was obsessed about like staying in shape oh, that's that's such a 90 it's it's so funny slim fast yeah i know it's so funny how like far we've come in terms of like what being like a fit dude is and and you know now he would have like you know his his you know shakes or protein like 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 now I, what am I trying to get at? He would now, be hitting his it, macros now. Yeah, exactly. We feel like we are so keyed into what is like scientifically proven to do these things, but I bet in another 30 years, like the macros and the shakes and the protein powder are going to sound exactly as stupid as taking slim fast on tour sounded in night. It sounds for a guy in 1994, you know? It's just all bullshit. Yeah. And he yeah. was notably, fe- I don't know if you'll get to this as, at some point, but he was notably featured in um, Playgirl magazine. Yes. And he agreed oh, yes. to do it. In, Molly's been yeah, talking he about it for a while. Oh yeah, he, it's cla- it's a great it's it's a great spread. Um, and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he agreed to do it in the same way that Burt Reynolds agreed to do it, and thinking yeah, yeah. that it was a magazine for women to jack off to, but it was actually a bunch of guys jacking off to it. And then he was very disappointed and sad, and uh, he got very frustrated because it was just it, that's what it it ended up being. Yeah, he he modeled for Playgirl. I think it was 1995, and like apparently it was not he it, he was fully he was fully erect. Like it yeah, was I've not seen the pictures. Like Burt Reynolds, you know, we just watched the um, pilot of the HBO show Minx, which is about, good show. Um, yeah, it was yeah, a good, good, good pilot um, about, uh, you know, a, a sleazy magazine for women being invented. And, uh, uh, you know, th- this was not on that level, but the, all the all the dongs in that show are, are flaccid for the most part. And this is this was not. Uh, so go, Peter, um, a brave boy. I mean, if, if this is our time to talk about the Playgirl play spread, uh the thing that really sticks out to me is how fucking pretty he is. Oh, sticks out? What sticks out to you, Chris? How, how far out does it it's stick? Not, it's not his big hard cock, which is certainly there. 
but like how like his delicate features and like full red pouty lips. He's really pretty. Yeah, he's yeah. a pre- he's a pretty boy. Yeah, he's a beautiful man. He is. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that I mean, the appeal is not just should for, our soon image for this just be a close up of his hard dick. I don't want to get kicked <laughs> off of I, Twitter allows porn, but I'd just be worried. I don't want to mess with uh, with Elon Musk's internet. You know, the the other thing about the Playgirl cover that I want to bring in because I was actually um, <laughs> when I was looking at the, <laughs> the when I was uh, for research, doing some research yes. when I was doing it for research for the podcast um, someone blog the, the the image link was in someone's blog from around the time that uh, Peter passed away and he, apparently the, it was a male blogger but uh, one thing that Peter's PR did was send a copy of Playgirl to every female rock writer uh, in the like ecosystem at the time <laughs> which like now kind of sounds a little like a little inappropriate but it's also yeah. kind of a genius marketing move at the same time like it's one of those things that you, you just probably couldn't pull off now you would get written up in jezebel and and people would get very upset about it yeah he'd be fucked if jezebel existed back then he'd been he would he have been, been over, <laughs> over. <laughs> yeah but he yeah, so. existed pre pre-cancel culture pre-me too pre-reactionary stuff i mean it was the 90s you could do that that kind of stuff all the time yeah also there yeah. were only like three women rock writers anyway yeah. no harm no foul um so they, they come up with their next album, which is October Rust, uh, in the classic, you know, album after hit form, Roadrunner Records is like, we don't hear any potential hits, which is like funny because they it was surprising that they had a hit to begin with or uh, caught on in, yeah. a, in a wider uh, I mean, scale. again, I really enjoyed my listening to Bloody Kisses. I didn't hear any hits on that album either. <laughs> I don't know. But Bloody Kisses, I vibe more with. What do you think, Ryan? Uh, it kind of falls off to me once you get to like in in praise of Bacchus and like I like I like the Cinnamon Girl cover actually. Yeah, the with Cinnamon Neil Girl cover. It's really good, but like, um, I, I love Be My Druidus. I love My Girlfriend's Girlfriend. Those are both like goofier, kind of romantic type songs. Mm-hmm. But Love You to Death is like probably my favorite song by them. It's just like so fucking epic and like drawn out and the pianos up front are so much more actualized than like on the last album. Like you were saying, it's kind of the last one kind of sounded like a MIDI keyboard. Mm. This sounds more like a real like romantic, beautiful, like, I don't know, like the fucking grand, like grand pianos and shit um, rather than like corny kind of, yeah. you know, synths I, and MIDIs and stuff. I mean, the keyboard stuff just throughout both these albums, even though I was saying in the last one, are like, you know, sounds like more unavoidably goofy to me. I it, yeah. it, it is one of the things that I mean the combination with his deep swooning voice and and the addition of the uh you know pianos to it, the keyboards to it, uh you know, are the thing that really uh drives this over the top for me and like really s- puts it all together because otherwise it's just like a dramatic metal band. And there are a lot of very good dramatic metal bands, but mm-hmm. it's like those two combinations like add this hard to uh, like untoppable sincerity to these songs Mm -hmm. uh that that just puts this into a whole nother register for me yeah just one of those bands where it's like the reason why i love them so much is i love music where like it makes you keep coming back because you can't get it anywhere else i mean like even with black sabbath like it's so much more serious and so much more like sincere and like you know traditional and this is just so much more goofy and it has a whole different element to it i mean i feel the same way with like someone like shy girl like when i listen to her or like death grips or like 
I don't know any of those types of bands, like even like the Flaming Lips or something like that. I can it's the same thing where it's like there's tons of psych bands out there, but nobody does it in the same way that they do. Yeah, yeah, totally. That's October Rust. Uh, Peter at this point, he's like in his mid thirties and, uh, this is where things kind of take a turn for his life is that he gets into cocaine for the first time. Um, mm. you know, he was obviously drinking a lot, um, but he never had a drug problem like in his twenties. Uh, and it sounds like everyone around him, at least the way that, you know, the writer of the biography reported, it's just that everyone was surprised, uh, and, uh, you know, disheartened or dismayed that this happened to him. Um, and he says, you know, he's obviously has a, a lifelong struggle with depression and he says, it feels great when you have all the feel-good chemicals running around in your head. Which is a very, very simple explanation for uh, uh, why cocaine might be uh, might be exciting to someone or uh, uh, palliative in some way. Yeah, it's not so bad when you call it a feel-good chemical. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, he's also he's a stage fright guy. He he is uh, despite you know his commanding presence, he struggles with stage fright. It sounds like every time he performs, even when he's you know, at the peak of his power. So like that, that's always a, such a funny phenomenon to me is that like, I'm not a famous singer, but I don't have stage fright. <laughs> and yet someone who is good then does. I'm like, what, why don't I just, you know, why don't we just trade and you can just have the confidence that I have doing karaoke. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like you're, you're good and, and you're popular. Like, don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah. Let me give you the confidence of me and, and then I can be six, eight. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> And then, so yeah, P- Peter's also like, he's partying harder. It sounds like he's getting the the really negative, um, uh, pu- no pun intended, just like fame consequence where he's got a lot of hangers on, a lot of moochers, a lot of people who are using him. Um, you know, he'll get, he, he will get drunk out uh, and pass out and people will run his credit cards, uh, like Oof. stealing money, like just, uh, you know, not, not nice stuff. And it sounds like he's uh, basically a, a tender soul at heart. So it's, it sounds like that was a hard social thing to manage. Yeah, they're, they're, we're deep into the nineties now, but you know, they, they got very, very, very famous for their genre music. Very, very fast. Very you know? quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he had been playing in bands for like a decade uh, right and then like uh um the kisses album comes out but bloody kisses album comes out and that's like immediately gold selling which for a band like this you could i feel like it it was very hard to imagine like that you would get that big that quickly you know yeah Yeah, it just it just goes to show when you put um when you put your like actual like head into something like actually make a good album you can tour off of it for years and years and years i mean look at like pink panthers right like pink panthers came out with that mixtape and it's just like tons of smash hits and she can she can probably tour off that even though she doesn't have that many songs she's at she's at like every single festival you know what i mean yeah it's it's if you really set your mind to it and like put put out what your your specific blend of music you can really like get people to like it and you can tour off of it for Yeah, like, I mean I don't they never put out anything that was like quite as big as Bloody Kisses in October Rising. I don't want to get too ahead in this story, but like agree. Uh well it was a, like like just literally not as big, even though I, yeah. I think that uh some of their late aughts albums debuted higher. Uh sure. but all uh, you know, all all like five or six of their main albums are, are quite well reviewed and enjoyed by their fans. Like this band, even if they had never put out an album after two thousand seven, could absolutely have just played forever, mm-hmm. and like every basically gotten a slot on like yeah every rock festival, done like probably a world tour, uh, yep. you know, every three to four years, uh, you know, just perpetually. Even if they had just like stopped with the last album before he died, you know, uh, mm-hmm. which only makes you know, his <laughs> impending death in the narrative, all the more tragic, you know? 
so then, uh, you know, in the history of typo negative, Peter Steele gets some writer's block, um, and that, <laughs> bless you, kind of delays the production of the next album, which is called World Coming Down. Um, meanwhile, right. oh, hey, there we go. Broken Bridge here. Did you just but, yeah. go on an O negative uh, record buying spree? Uh, yes, I did. Uh, those were hard, really hard to come by because like they, they get reissued every once in a while. And uh, luckily I was able to get those. But yeah. Uh, meanwhile, kind of in the rock landscape, uh, World Coming Down comes out, um, sorry, what year? 99, uh, which is, a, as I've said on this podcast a million times before, just a weird uh, weird year if you're transitioning from a rock band from the 80s and 90s into the 2000s. Roadrunner Records signs, uh, boo, 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 who do they sign? Uh, Slipknot and then Nickelback. So mm. like, if those are the two kind of signs of the, of the, the changing ro- popular rock uh vibe is that is is those two bands so like they're not typo negative is not the only star on the label anymore um they have to share their attention a little bit and they're and they're getting older and yeah. obviously slipknot has been uh i think kind of critically reevaluated uh and people have caught up you know the, the the popular consensus and the critics have caught up with their fans in the you know last 20 years uh nickelback seemed seemingly destined for be the butt of every uh music joke but it does tell you that there's like you know the 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 kind of consolidated front of like industrial and grunge of the early 90s is bifurcating into like the various cul-de-sacs and dead ends that that mm-hmm. musical impulse will will take itself to mm-hmm. at the dawn of the new millennium and uh, yeah. wh- where is their place for a good old fashioned uh, uh, industrial goth metal band? You know, bring it back, bring it back. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's a the, Peter kind of declines, you know, over uh, over nineties going into the two thousands. Um, he's got like a pretty serious cocaine problem. He starts making some attempts to get sober. Um, there's another uh, album put out in 2003, uh, but he was on a pretty steady like mental decline that ended up in his arrest. Um, specifically, the circumstances of the arrest are uh, kind of upsetting. It sounds like he had an ex girlfriend that he was very you know hung up on, uh, had not realized that she had gotten remarried, uh, broke into their house, and started beating up her husband. And did this all kind of like on a psychotic break uh, that ended in him getting arrested and spending uh, a month in Rikers, which is, you know, like not not pleasant. Like in his like mid to late 30s. Yeah, like it's it's that's really intense. Quite upsetting. Uh, And then, of course, in I guess what we could call typical Peter Steele fashion is that after he got out of that and uh, you know spent some time in the psych ward and came out on the other side, he said, "I now have a gold record, a platinum record, and a criminal record." (laughs) Hell yeah, he rocks. (laughs) I'm gonna keep saying it. So he's having fun. He's having fun with it with his jail time. I, I was not able to investigate these uh, Ots records uh, quite as much. Um, my sense is, is that they're a lot like slower and sludgier. Um, still, kind of enjoyed by uh, by by people as much, but you know, a different tone. Do you know these as well, Ryan? Yeah, well, I mean, World Coming Down is probably like my second favorite of their albums. That was like the '99, right before the Ots, and that one was very sludgy, like you said. Um, that's when they really got into like the long, like all those songs are like ten minutes long, pretty much. Mm-hmm. And in in between, like I sent you on Instagram, there's um basically each song there's like skits yeah. where each of the songs <laughs> is like one of the band members dying, he's, like, like smoking like, weed in the tour bus. Uh, yeah, yep. <laughs> yeah. So he dies of I think he dies of heart failure, and he actually does die of heart failure, which is really interesting that he or sinus it's called like sinus or something where it, the the skit is like him 
him snorting cocaine and he dies of that. And again, eventually he died of like heart failure. Or then there's one where it's like, yeah, he's coughing. It's the person's coughing or whatever. Um, yes, yeah, so they get really sludgy. The, the album after that, I forgot the exact name of it. It's, um, uh, it's what the fuck is the name of it? Hold on. Maybe uh, you guys life can... is killing me. Life is killing. Yes. Me. Life is killing me is more fast paced. And, and the first song kind of sounds like Lincoln park. Um, the, mm-hmm. I don't want to be me. And it gets a little bit more contemporary. So I think they're trying to like kind of fit in almost like like what you guys were saying, where maybe respond uh, to the commercial environment a little bit. Exactly. Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, that's like their most that's probably like their most popular song, at least the most streamed on Spotify. And then you mm-hmm. get deeper into it, like 2009, 2010. And then that's where you get that like one that's the only one of theirs that's not on Roadrunner Records. Um, the one that one is of Rasputin on it, right? Yeah, that one is really odd. Uh, I don't know mm-hmm. exactly what to make of it. It's kind of like a rehashing of their old shit. In a, in a kind of a bit of an unsatisfying way. But the one interesting thing is that one of the songs was used in a Saw movie, uh, Dead Again. That's pretty much <laughs> the only thing I know. <laughs> ah, I do. I do yeah. I, if, if I recall correctly, typo negative used in like movies is always in like an extremely like edgy. Uh, oh, yeah. It's, it's always in like hostile or yeah, yeah, yeah. something. Yeah. I, oh, yeah. I, I've got this list in front of me. It's like Bride of Chucky, Mortal Kombat, Freddy versus Jason. I'm, yeah. I know what you did last summer, Molly. You've seen that. We, oh we yeah, love that. that love that. Love that movie. I hadn't seen that until I think last last year, last yeah. summer. To, late, yeah, it's late like all shit I couldn't watch as a child. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it would have. Um, I it would have uh, probably ruined ruined my life and outlook if I had <laughs> yeah. seen it then. I was I was finally able to see the movie The Ring at the age of like twenty nine. So that's that's about <laughs> how much I can take scary scary. Uh, great movie. Great movie. Um. So yeah, the, the they're kind of struggling to uh you know find he's struggling to find his way. Weirdly in 2005 they announced Peter Steele's death as a prank on I think their website uh confusing people especially since it sounds like his actual presence was becoming more erratic. Uh, but then his yep. mom died that same year. Uh obviously that is devastating. He was living with her um at that time and like it just sounds like it was, you know, uh a, a terrible terrible blow to his his emotional mindset uh he also revived carnivore which it it sounded like people were like kind of confused that he did that i don't think they wrote any new music but they basically ad yeah they did that tour that's what i was saying when he had he had the oxygen mask on state like he was like and then he just put the oxygen mask back on breathe in breathe in and then keep going he was really going until his death i mean 2009 is their last album 2010 is when he died he was really taking it to like taking the whole death angle to like its logical conclusion which i mean makes sense for him yeah yeah the and it sounds like it you know he brought carnivore back because it was kind of like a comfort like thing or you know something uh, it yeah. sounds like typo negative was increasingly of like his, the album the, the label being like where's the where's the song where's the hit where's the next album we got to make money uh and he's yeah. like okay well, Carn- carnivore is about none of those things and therefore it's more soothing to me yeah and the shows were smaller too that's the mm, other thing mm. the commercial trajectory is is just very funny because you know as we said, Bloody Kisses in in '93 debuts at 166, but sells almost a mil or over a million copies. It's, yeah. It goes platinum, and then mm-hmm. the place where it debuts keeps going up until Dead Again, the 2007 album, actually debuts at 27 at the U.S. But like, that's crazy. Doesn't even have a list of like it, like it doesn't crack 100,000 sales. Mm-hmm. So it's like. 
I guess that tells the story of a band increasingly becoming a cult band where yeah. it's like they only have, uh, you know, fewer and fewer people are listening to them, but every one of those people is buying the album the second it comes out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Which is how I'd want to be if I was a man, to be honest with you. If you once produced a platinum <laughs> album, I'm sure that the the pressure from the label is is always going to be like, next one's got to be platinum again, boys. And you're like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sorry. Like, we, <laughs> we only have 50,000 fans, but literally everyone would kill themselves for us if we told them to. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in the midst of all this, he actually found God again. He basically, you know, reconnected with, I don't know if it was Catholicism in particular, but uh, he, he got religious again. Um, and that was, I think, part of an effort to try to stay sober and still, uh, you know, be a little bit more grounded than he used to be. He still said stuff uh, in interviews such as, as psychotic as this might sound, I've been told I am the prophet of doom. I know the date of the end of the world. <laughs> <laughs> Which I don't know, you know, in talking about the rest of his like intention versus, you, you know, effect, if he's still being like tongue in cheek about this kind of vision of himself as like a, you know, a, d- a demonic uh apocalyptic type of guy or if at that point he really did believe it i I don't know it's hard to tell with him hard to tell um he and then the other thing uh kind of near the end of his life is that his looks had changed quite a bit you know he had gone from being in his 20s early 30s and being you know super in shape and posing in uh centerfolds and whatnot to like he's getting older uh as he, he said uh which you know too real uh it, it's a lot easier for me to drink wine and go get some cocaine than it is to work out uh, to which i say <laughs> amen amen brother that it is girly things yeah <laughs> I just don't think that actually gets talked about that much, even though, you know, we've read uh, all these memoirs and biographies so far of male rock stars. But if you are, if your thing about when you're younger is like being hunky and then the hunkiness changes, like that is going to be kind of destabilizing to your mindset uh, in a way that like has nothing to do with the music, but it still, still affects it. Yeah. I was watching some live stuff from there um, kind of towards the end of their career and and he, he gets like the Lemmy mustache. Mm. Uh, yeah, at, at, at some point with the hat, yeah. <laughs> the thing yeah. Is, is that he's still incredibly built for for a guy his age. Pro- probably not, you know, quite as much as he he used to be. But like, it is very funny to be to that. That's like such a a, a middle aged guy thing of being like, hmm, not as ripped as I was when I was twenty eight. Time to get a weird goatee <laughs> 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 to make up for it. Uh, yeah, so he uh, by 2008 he's also the the money portion of his career. He's essentially broke by 2008. Like he's spent a lot of money on uh, uh, friends, loved ones. Uh, it, it's re- referenced that he will buy girlfriends like cars, send them to college. Like he he sounds like he's very Damn. generous. I know, like generous to other people, and in a way that was maybe not managed so well because you know his his sisters basically said like we need to sell the family house. Uh, and he was like, I don't have any money to live anywhere else. So he literally ends up he ends up in Dingman's Ferry, Pennsylvania uh, in 2008. Uh, That's where I had my prom weekend. <laughs> it's like, um, imagine the town from um, from Trailer Park Boys, but in real life. Oh the guy driving around. You know, that that I would maybe call like a one type of rock bottom for him is that he's depressed. It says he's depressed, desperate, and nearly destitute. Um, but near the end of this biography, he is trying to rebuild his life and his career. He's, you know, he's gotten sober. He is planning to move to Staten Island. He has all these cats. By the way, Peter Steele, big cat person, um, which is very cute uh but he 
he's like just trying to get it together and it seems like he's like hopeful for the future maybe going to record some new music and then uh, but at the same time he's obviously he's suffering from these health problems it sounds like his body basically went through hell um like heart problems liver problems all kinds of stuff um and mm. then like he had a like a sober coach slash counselor who he had seen uh for like a few days and she and he was telling her that he wasn't feeling that well and then i went to just like you know getting sent in an ambulance in the hospital and then all of a sudden he was he was dead in uh, 2010. He was only 48 years old. The writer did bring up some like, not like calling into question what happening, but what happened. But like, it sounds like there were a lot of questions about what happened, especially given he once announced his own death as a prank. Yeah, I, w I was having a little difficulty with that when I was trying to look up some background on this because it's like one cause of death was announced immediately. And then a little later, they announced something, you know, they, they, they immediately was said to be heart failure. And then a little later, it was like, possibly sepsis. sepsis from diverticulitis which would imply maybe some kind of complication from drug use mm -hmm. I, I i don't know it, it does seem like one of those things where nobody's quite sure if it was just like kind of a freak heart attack from overuse of body or if he had like started using drugs again or mm -hmm. whatever or if it even really matters so yeah pretty tra tragic regardless getting into these guys now to prepare for the show it's like it's one of the, those things that is such a tragedy because as I was outlining earlier, you know, for, at 2010, it, it does seem like he was at a low place in his life and was probably feeling very frustrating and depressed for having done all this stuff and achieved all this success and still, you know, being a, in a place of, uh, of not success at his death. But I, I don't know, this band, this guy were like four or five years away from merging into the like elder statesman lane. Yeah, you know, where they could play, could like, have played Coachella, honestly, yeah, like legacy tours yeah. and like huge festivals, and people, you know, it, it really sucks to get to that hump. And, and you see, I feel like you see a lot of rock guys uh, not make it past there. When if you could, you know, where forty eight to fifty five is like hell and extremely difficult, but if you could make it to like fifty six, then it's like you get to the place where everybody's like, Hey, remember typo negative? Yeah. Everybody loves typo negative. Let's get typo negative on this bill. And and then you're into the, you know, it, it, I guess it kind of sucks a little bit to be in like the nostalgia circuit, but it's like, no, you're, you're in the elder statesman circuit where, you know, it, it's like you have a bunch of older fans who are still into you and you're get you, you suddenly get a new generation of fans who are, are into it. And then you can kind of like start playing intergenerational type shows and, uh, and, and festivals and stuff. Uh, yeah, it just sucks that he didn't make it there because I could totally see these guys just like playing every rock festival uh, mm -hmm. in, in 2020 or 2022, you know? Big time. He was still killing it uh, even just like a, two years before his death. Like mm -hmm. whenever they were playing the tour for Dead Again, he was he was still, he wasn't quite as, as good as he, he used to be obviously because he couldn't breathe as well and his body was starting to give out, but he was giving it like a hell of a performance. Like, <clears throat> so I can totally those see what you're saying. The, uh, yeah, those are some of the, um, the clips that we're watching and they were great. He looked great. The yeah. song sounded great. Mm -hmm. That the uh the yeah, the gulf between just like being washed, like slightly washed and being like a classic is like mm -hmm. it's not not every band gets to do it. And if you do, then I feel like the bands who realize they do it are like sick, never like never leaving again. Uh we'll yeah. we'll be together basically until we th think it's a good idea to break up performatively so we can reunite in a little bit yeah for and again for like a lot of these were 80s 90s rock guys it's like you, you there's like a, a seven year gap that you needed to jump over in the mm -hmm. late aughts to, to get from like totally washed to hey remember these guys they kind of rock mm -hmm. yep 
For Peter Steele, uh, there was an oak tree in Prospect Park planted to honor his life. Oh, shit. We should go visit the, the Peter Steele oak tree. I would love to visit the Peter Steele oak tree. Yeah, I want to see that. I don't know how big it was when it was planted, and I don't know how much an oak tree can grow in 12 years, but um, <laughs> hopefully it's It's, hopefully it's exactly it's doing six, well. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's a special, special Peter Steele oak that grows to, grows to six foot eight. I'm almost positive that we watch, walked past this. I think it's in the sheep meadow, which Molly and I spend a shit ton of our time in. It's Not true. the sheep meadow, the, the, the long meadow in, in Prospect Park. Ne- not the oh, okay. nether meat. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's a, a, a sweet, sweet honor uh, from the parks department that he seemed to honestly like be would have been maybe happy to keep working there like forever. He probably uh, would have been fine. He would probably still be living in, and driving around in the garbage truck or whatever the fuck like now. You know what yeah, I mean? His, yeah. his tall ass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just like the idea of like just truly trying to hold on to your day job at the parks department and being like, I just need I'm going to need like four weeks off because we're going to tour in Europe. Like, uh, but then I'll be back and ready to pick up some more garbage. In the park. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that is, that is the life of Peter. It's very, it's, uh, it is too bad that it was, it was t- taken away before, I think before his time, but, um, what fi- final thoughts on, on our boy. Uh, my takeaway is that typo negative is one of those perfect types of bands that maybe you've never or that you avoided for some reason or never really thought about to get into. Cause it's like six albums. They're not going to make any more. They're all at least pretty good. And most of them are really, really good. And as Ryan was saying, it's not something you're going to hear anywhere else. So, I mean, honestly, if you listen to this and you're like, eh, I want to check out what the deal is, throw on bloody kisses that album's that I'm rocks. And then you have just a whole new type of like hard music to add to your hard music. repertoire. <laughs> Yeah, um, I would say that they're a great uh, band to get into if you're not really too into metal and you want to uh, like metal pill yourself so you can get into a little bit harder stuff um, mm. and more more scream stuff and that kind of stuff. I mean, like you could start with them and then you go down to Black Sabbath. Uh, you go you start from Black Sabbath, you go down to Typo Negative, and then you can move on to you know pretty much anything. I mean, yeah, I, they 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 just have a specific brand of music that I don't think will ever be made um, ever again. And anybody who's who's tried has just miserably failed. Um, <laughs> So shout out to Peter Steele. I mean, he rules. Um, yeah. Shout out to him and his giant cock. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> shout out to Peter Steele and his big hard cock. R.I.P. to oh, a big thick yeah. savage. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, oh, that's man. a pretty good takeaway. Oh god! <laughs> uh, in the last few minutes of the pod, because I've guessed it on the anti-art pod, but we have not had you uh, on ours. And Molly and I are both big fans. Of- yes the anti-art Instagram and what you're doing on it. So uh, I guess we'll just give you a few moments. And look, the the last episode we put out was uh, with all of our mutual friends, Matthew Perpetua, uh, talking Mm -hmm. about FlexBlog, 20 years of uh, MP3 blogging. So this is a nice segue into, you know, he's that was one form of blogging. And and I have called you what you do, a new form of blogging. So uh, Ryan, you want to tell us about anti-art? Uh, sure. We're in a bit of a transitional phase right now. Uh, we're going through, we're trying to figure out exactly what we want to do, but by June 1st, I'm going to be off my full-time job and I'm going to be onto anti-art. Oh yeah. We actually, wow. we actually have an intern, uh, coming from, from Cali. Uh, so it's really exciting. Um, so we're, we're, we're figuring out exactly what space we want to be in. Cause ri- people say that writing is dead, but I kind of dis- would disagree with that. I would disagree um, as well. I would say there's yeah. space for disruption. 
<laughs> I would say I I agree, and I think that's what I that's going to be my goal this summer. I want to start writing more profiles. Um, we we started off with just an Instagram uh, blog with reviews, and you called it like a zine, which we kind of after you said that we actually got like more into that kind of aesthetic. Uh, we started doing profiles, all that kind of stuff. Um, but now we're kind of all over the place. We do some reviews on YouTube. We do some reviews written again, as I just said, we do, we do profiles. Um, yeah, we're kind of all over the place, but we're, but we're mostly trying to discover what the best music is in the mainstream and underground as well. Uh, trying to interview some dope ass people. We just interviewed this, this band soul glow out of Philadelphia. The hardcore oh, band. wow. Um, I'm a big fan. That's a great band. Wait, really? Yeah. Yeah. That we, there you should uh if you can somehow have them on uh they were fucking hysterical um, oh great oh yeah yeah i would highly recommend uh, mm-hmm. that band um but yeah i'm just looking for we, we look for things that are either we talk about this all the time uh, anti-art albums or perfect pop albums where it's like an undeniable pop record like um uh like you know like the, the weekend's uh album before after hours mm-hmm. or like an anti-art album which would be like the soul glow album which is like so chaotic and so against what people should want to listen to or people you know are marketed and that kind of stuff are expected to be listening to right exactly i love bands that do whatever the fuck they want and then you just you're you're kind of forced to just like love it that kind of thing you should hate it but you're just like damn this is amazing um that's (laughs) you know we're trying to we try to we try and find everything and anything that falls between those two pillars um so yeah, uh, we we do a lot of a lot of different things. We're 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 trying to figure out exactly whether we want to be like a dazed type of thing or mm. like a you know like an Anthony Fantano type of thing where it's just like full YouTube monetization or you know uh, we're we're in a lot of different we're we have a lot of different hats and we're trying to kind of consolidate all of them and and I think by the end of the summer um, we'll start like actually being like have a real identity real and we'll figure out the answer to that question essentially. Uh, you're you're in watch this space mode. Yes, exactly. Well, where where it lives right now is um, it's started and and the main place to live, the space to watch would be on Instagram. It's at underscore underscore anti art underscore underscore. Um, you have a website though as well, right? Like a, an actual. Oh yeah, anti art blog. Okay. Yeah, that, that as well. But, Great. but yeah, like he said, uh, the Instagram is the main spot to watch. Uh, antiart.blog. You can check out our YouTube channel, Antiart. You just go on YouTube and look up Antiart. Uh, SEO has been very kind to us. Thank God. Great. Uh, so when you look up Antiart, if you look up Antiart one word on Google, we're like the third result now. All right. That's there you go. Fire. Uh, Ryan, yeah. Ryan also takes great, uh, great photos. I we we all went to the Sunday of Governor's Ball together last year, and I just remember being like wi- wildly impressed with the quality of photo you were getting. Yes, uh, it's very the uh, anybody who wants to get into uh, concert photography, if you can't get a press pass, rent a Sony CyberShot and push all those fucking kids out of the way. <laughs> And get some good ass <laughs> pictures with that thing, and then and then be like, oh, these are my professional pictures. Get a better camera, get a press pass. Yeah, so that's my recommendation it's for everybody. I mean, it's yeah. the not even fake it till you make it. It's just do do, do it, it until you make it. Just do it. Do it exactly. <laughs> do it more. Yeah. Just do it. Yeah. And uh, not to keep hyping you up, but uh, I also understand that you are muscling into my territory by producing the <laughs> neoliberal hell podcast, which has. Oh just yes, uh, yes. Uh, thank you for for bringing that up, me. Anna and our friend Matthew, who is like a, a, a grad student over at Columbia, he provides kind of the uh, Matthew provides kind of like the crazy stats and uh, b- book learnings, as uh, you know the dude yeah. from Trailer Park Boys would probably say, Ricky, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the book of book smarts, and uh, you know Anna is a, a crazy uh, Instagram figure. She's also pretty brilliant and you know uh, really really smart and 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 hilarious. The two of them together are are hysterical. 
Uh, we just had Felix on f- to talk about a bunch of different things. Uh, uh, the metrosexuality of Morrissey, the subway shooter. <laughs> we were talking about the p- politics of gangs. It went pretty crazy, but they somehow roped all those topics in and uh, f- figured it out. Um, we do have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash neoliberalhell, uh, which is doing surprisingly well. I didn't, I, I never had a Patreon before, so to see... Thank you to Honest Simps. Um, there's a lot of Simps out there who <laughs> are buying into the Patreon. Th- that thanks the, to you guys. They are the engine of the of the Web 3.0 economy. <laughs> Simps make, make the uh, the oh, internet oh, run. Oh, I'm yeah. come on. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. America runs on Simpin. America runs on Simpin. Ryan, thank you so much for stopping by. Always enjoy to talk to you. Uh, again, Molly and I are, are true fans of your work. So uh, you know, come back soon, uh, and we'll talk more bullshit about music. Hell yeah. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at an intropod. You can send us an email and introducing pod at gmail.com. Uh, our SoundCloud is as always ready, Molly. So ready. SoundCloud.com slash and dash intro dash. Sorry, we got some bad delay on our recording. Pod. We'll <laughs> clean that up in the edit. Yeah. Uh, you know, we haven't really gotten any reviews or ratings in a, in a little bit. Uh, go to iTunes and rate and review. I think that that still helps people find it. I honestly have no idea as all but the one thing that we haven't said in a bit that we should mention every time is if you like the show tell a friend tell a friend uh recommend typo negative uh say it's a good it's a good band to simultaneously cry and laugh to yeah uh and uh until then we will be back soon within a month let's promise within a month of the release of this yeah soon soon. uh with more and introducing